The stories of our lives make us and break us. When we hear other people's life-changing stories, we're given an intimate glimpse into the experiences that made them who they are. And when they pull back the curtain, we feel a lot less alone in the world. Welcome to the Six Minute Memoir Podcast, where guests share brave, true life tales of transformation in the space of six minutes. My name is Anne Bukma, and I'm so pleased to be your host. It's rare that you hear men extol the pleasures of having a long soak in the tub, but Jamal Royce says he loved taking baths when he was a little boy and still enjoys the experience as a grown man. As a senior writer for In Magazine, Canada's leading LGBTQ2 digital publication website and community platform, Jamal, a 39-year-old gay black man, says his nightly bath ritual has not only been a radical act of self-care during COVID, but has also been a refuge from the painful stresses of living in a world where black folks are repeatedly dehumanized and killed. Taking a bath has been my saving grace, he says. When I've shut down and struggled with depression and feeling overwhelmed, my bathtub has enveloped me in its warm embrace. He goes on, For me, a gay black man who's still working his way toward acceptance and worth, it's an intentional practice that sends a message to myself that I matter, my needs matter, and I'm deserving of my own love and affection. Rub-a-dub-dub, don't come a-knocking when I'm in the tub. As soon as it starts getting late in the evening, my internal clock tells me it's time to unwind. After a long day spent sitting at my desk, staring at my computer screen, while simultaneously trying to triage requests from my baby boomer parents to help them send an email, make an online purchase, or get on a Zoom call. The concept of working from home is still somewhat foreign to them. I make my great escape into the bathroom, shut the door, turn on the tap, and let the warm water fill up the tub. On those days when I require a little something extra to boost my mood, I add a few generous dollops of luxurious lavender and honey bubble bath and put on Mariah Carey's I Stay In Love, the Jody Denbrodo radio remix before stripping down, getting naked and settling in for a soothing soak. This pandemic ritual has pretty much kept me sane during lockdown. When I've needed respite from the daily barrage of news reports about COVID-19 case counts and ICU admissions and deaths, my bath time routine has been a source of comfort. In those moments when I've sought refuge from the unbearable videos of Black folks being dehumanized and killed, taking a bath has been my saving grace. And when I shut down and struggled with depression and feeling overwhelmed, my bathtub has welcomed me with arms open wide and enveloped me in its warm embrace. Writer, feminist, and civil rights activist Audre Lorde once wrote, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. I couldn't agree more. While I understand that spending time in the tub may not seem like a radical act of self-care to some, for me, a gay black man who's still working his way towards radical self-love, acceptance, and worth, 
it's an intentional practice that sends the message to myself that I matter, my needs matter, and I'm deserving of my own love and affection. When you exist in a world that historically hasn't prioritized these messages for people who look and love like you do, small pleasures like taking a bath take on greater significance. But the benefits of my nightly bath time routine don't stop there. The pandemic has stolen so much from us, including robbing LGBTQ2 people of safe and communal spaces to explore and express our sexuality. In the absence of bathhouses and friends houses, support groups and dance parties, gay and queer folks have spent the past year and a half in relative isolation and some have even been forced back into the closet just to survive living at home with family members who aren't accepting of who they are. I came out to my parents a long time ago. Even though they've come a long way from open opposition to tepid tolerance to almost acceptance, they're probably not going to throw a ticker tape parade to celebrate my gayness anytime soon. But being stuck in lockdown with them has been challenging and I haven't always felt comfortable being completely myself, minus the self-editing. When I close the bathroom door and slip into the tub, all of that melts away. I caress my body in the way it desires to be touched and maneuver it in the way it wants to move. I put in my headphones and sing along with my favorite female pop divas while pretending to be a backup singer. I light scented candles, I play with the bubbles, and when I get out of the tub, I dance and pose in front of the mirror. In those moments, I'm totally unrestricted and unrestrained. I'm free to be me. There are so many things I'm looking forward to doing again post-pandemic. I'm ready for sightseeing and people watching, extravagant celebrations and intimate get-togethers. I can't wait to be on both the giving and receiving end of long, lingering hugs. I dream about dancing in a crowd, flirting with strangers, stealing kisses in dark corners with cute boys. One thing is for certain though, my new normal will continue to include some well-deserved me time in the tub. While I'll likely return to taking 10 minute morning showers before work, I plan to schedule in time each week for at least one super long soak in the tub. It's the perfect opportunity to wash away my worries, relax, restore and renew my spirit and be my gayest self. Bring on those bubbles. Thank you so much, Jamal, for that uh, lovely, lovely story. I am deserving of my own love and affection. Amen to that. Um, yes. You told the story. Yes, yes. You told the story at the six minute memoir last year. We don't really know each other, but we have a mutual friend in common. And she told me what a fine writer you are. And I'm so pleased that you shared this story. And 
I have to say, rarely have I um, heard a man extol the virtues of, of having a bath, of having a long soak the way you have in this piece. Um, why do you think that is? Is it the fear of what's seen as feminine, a feminine ritual? Or, you know, we don't hear men talk about the beauty of soaking in a tub. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100 um, percent. You know, I think a lot of the ideas that we have around what is seen as feminine and what is masculine, a lot of them are really outdated. Um, you know, why should something as simple as taking a bath um, be something that we only think of for women or something that men shouldn't be able to enjoy and do? Uh, I really enjoy taking baths when I was a little boy. So I don't see any reason why I shouldn't be able to enjoy um, the experience as a grown man. Uh, I think that, you know, when we start putting um, ideas into little boys' heads around what, quote unquote, real men should and shouldn't do, it really sets them up for problematic relationships with themselves and those around them as they grow into adults. So what really inspires me is I'm seeing the younger generations, um, you know, millennials and Gen Z, they're really redefining this, this traditional concept of masculinity and even shedding um, all of these gender constructs altogether. And I think that's great because like I said, I think we should all be free to enjoy what we wanna enjoy and to engage in the activities that we wanna engage in. Um, and if that includes taking a bath, all the more power to you. Awesome, it all starts with the tub. It's so true, right, these constructs. I mean, I remember, uh, when my daughters were little, um, this is just such a small example, but there was a boy, maybe grade two or something, and he had come to school with pink socks on. And, um, you know, it was pointed out by, by the other boys, right? This very narrow definition of what boys should act like. And um, it's so detrimental to, to, to men. And, um, and even talking about self-care, you know, again, rarely do I hear men talk about self-care. Women talk about it all the time. But we all need to engage in that. And, and, and it's part of like loving ourselves, right? Absolutely. I, I, and I think, you know, you're touching on also this idea of kind of that toxic masculinity that we've seen in that conversation has been happening in recent years where we're seeing now the impacts that that sort of toxic masculinity can have on, on, on men, on people in general, on society and the world. Um, so yeah, I think we do need to push back and we need to really rethink, um, are these ideals and ideas and constructs that we've all been taught and that we've that have been passed down from generation to generation, are they really serving us um, as a society? And I think we need to start shedding and letting go of some of them and allow people to be who they are. You know, we should allow little boys to express themselves however they want to express. We should allow little girls to express themselves however they wish to express. There shouldn't be these constraints in terms of what you can and can't do or how you should show up in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, I can't help but think right now, um, when you look at toxic masculinity on a global level and the war that's going on right now, right, yeah. you know, um, the world would be a much different place, I think, if more women had more power. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but <laughs> here, I like, here. exactly. I like what you say, free to be me, you know, that is what we all want, right? The freedom to be our own authentic selves. 
And the fact is some people are more free than others to truly be themselves in this world. Uh, what does freedom mean to you as someone with lived intersectional experience of being both black and gay? Big question. <laughs> yes, really big question. So I guess first off, I would say that, you know, freedom is a basic human right, full stop. Uh, you know, we all deserve to be free, um, to be free to, to, to be free to be who we are and to show up in the world as our authentic, true selves, regardless of race or sexuality or any other facet of our identities. Um, so for me personally, as a gay black man, uh, it sometimes can feel like I'm always fighting um, to be free, uh, to be seen, to be heard, um, to be valued. Uh, you know, when I take a, a walk around my neighborhood here where I live, uh, I often have to think twice about whether or not I should put a hood over my head if it's a cold day outside and I want to keep warm because I don't want to be perceived as a threat, even though, you know, we've lived in this community for, for decades, you know, I, I still recognize I'm a black man and that's often seen as a threat for many people. So I have to think twice about, you know, putting a hood on, or if I go to the barbershop to get a haircut, um, I sometimes will lower my voice or deepen my voice because I don't know if they know I'm gay. And if they do find out, will I be treated differently? And so I have to worry about things like that. Or when I get an opportunity um, at work, I feel this pressure to really, you know, to please everyone, to perform, to perfect, um, and to be excellent and exceptional in everything I do because I'm often the only gay black man in the room or in certain positions. Um, and then I find myself needing to explain um, or be specific about why we need to address the needs of equity deserving groups like the black community, like the LGBTQ2 plus communities uh, to people who don't understand uh, why we need to talk about these issues or who sometimes don't want to understand. Um, so when I enter a space, any space as a gay black man, uh, there are certain things that I have to consider that other people just don't have to. And so I think when that's no longer the case, um, that's when I will be able to say that I truly feel free to be me. And I hope that happens. I mean, sometimes it seems like we are still so far away from that. And I can imagine how exhausting it must be for you with when you talk about something as simple as putting a hood over your head or, or deepening your voice in certain situations I mean the energy right no wonder no wonder you need those baths right as a way to to care for yourself and love yourself and give yourself the energy that you need to to deal with that stuff um thank you so much for for sharing that and giving us some insight into that and talking about acceptance, you know, you, you mentioned your parents and your piece, you know, they're, they're almost acceptance, you know, there's not going to be a ticker tape parade. So, but, but it, you do live with them and it seems like there is a, a good relationship there. Can you tell us about um, coming out to them a bit or, you know, what your relationship is like with them? It sounds like you are a caregiver to them in some ways. Are they elderly? Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm currently I currently live at home with uh, both my parents, my mom and my dad. Uh, they're both seniors, 
um, but they're still, you know, relatively healthy. They're they're very active, uh, but they do sometimes require some support around, you know, their health issues, just some lifestyle issues. And then, of course, with tech ta tech tasks, uh, they're not really not TikTok. <laughs> they're not, not TikTok, on TikTok. No. <laughs> not on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok either, actually. But yeah, tech tasks and uh, using computers aren't their forte. So I help them out with that. So I kind of say I'm an I'm an unofficial or de, de facto family caregiver. But um, in terms of um, coming out and the journey that we've been on, um, in terms of um, me coming out as gay, um, I first came out to them when I was around, I think 19 years old, I would say, maybe like 1920 or 18, 1920 in there. Um, and like I said, it's been a journey. Uh, when I first came out, uh, there were definitely a few fights, a lot of hurt feelings, especially on my part. Um, both my parents were born uh, in Jamaica and uh, are practicing Catholics. My sister and I uh, were both raised in the Catholic faith tradition as well. And so Jamaica is not known to be um, a place that is very welcoming or accepting for LGBTQ2 plus folks. And uh, neither is the Catholic church, if we're being honest. So um, in the beginning, when I first came out, I think it was very hard for my parents, especially for my mom, I think, to wrap their heads around my sexuality and my, my, um, how I was, my identity. Um, you know, I think we've come a long way since those initial conversations. Um, I'm able to share a bit more with them. I can open up a bit more with them, uh, but it's still challenging. And there are certain aspects of my life and certain conversations that, that I just avoid. Um, to prevent arguments. So it's a journey, it's an ongoing process. Um, something I've come to realize though over the last few years is that, you know, for them as parents, I think they, they have had to maybe mourn the idea of who they thought I was going to be. And I think earlier on when I was younger, you know, I was more kind of me focused and I really wasn't able to take that perspective. But I, as I've grown and matured, I'm able to kind of see things from their side of things and realize that it must have been difficult for them to let go of who they thought I was going to be. And I think all parents, when they have kids, you know, they have dreams and, and aspirations for them and they have an idea of who their kids are going to grow up to be. And so when things don't turn out exactly according to plan, I, I'm sure that must be hard and challenging and difficult for them too. So I, I try and give them a little bit of grace around it and we continue to journey on it together. Well said, Jamal. How old are you now? So I just had a birthday yesterday, actually. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> so just, thank you. So I just turned 39 years old. 39. 39. Yes. So it's been 20 years since you came out. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, parents do project a lot on, onto their children, whether it's, you know, they're going to have a traditional marriage and have children or become a doctor or, you know, all these ridiculous, you know, aspirations in some ways and some cultures more than others. Um, I have two daughters in university and, uh, you know, one thing I've really tried to do is just, you know, accept them for who they are, um, you know, but parents are parents and they're people and, and we all come with our own cultural conditioning. Um, so, you know, it sounds like you're, you, you really do have a spirit of grace with your parents and hopefully as time goes on, it will get even, even better with them. I'm Absolutely. And, yeah. and I know too, something I always keep in mind is that they're coming from a place of love. And I know that anything that they're doing or sharing or anything that they've taught me 
uh, throughout my life is really to protect me, to prepare me for the real world, to keep me safe. And it's coming from a place of love. So I always try and keep that top of mind as well. Wonderful. Even when it can get a little bit challenging and we have those difficult, uncomfortable exchanges and conversations. Right, right. I'm curious if you've um, heard about uh, Trisha Hersey and her NAP ministry. I, I did a piece on her for uh, Broadview Magazine, which is a former United Church Observer. Um, and it just made me think of her when you talked about, when you quoted Audre Lorde, uh, caring for oneself as an act of political warfare. And I assume there she's speaking specific, specifically about Black people. Um, and Trisha Hersey with her NAP ministry, her idea is that rest is resistance for Black people. Um, ha have you heard of her? Or did you check her out at all? I did. So I actually follow the NAP ministry on Instagram after reading your piece. Um, I think I read it last year. Oh, that great. You wrote Broadview. Yes. So I follow, I follow them on Instagram. I love the posts that they share. Um, yeah, big fan of Trisha and the work that she's doing. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's an unfortunate reality that marginalized, racialized, and vulnerable communities are often tasked with doing the heavy lifting when it comes to fighting for change and doing the real work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we're often called upon to you know, educate people and to share our lived experiences. And as you touched on earlier, um, the emotional labor and effort and energy that's involved in doing that can be really exhausting and it definitely takes a toll. Um, I know for sure I have experienced this firsthand um, where sometimes it becomes just so overwhelming. There's so much to do, so much to give, um, and then you get the pushback and it, it can be so tough. Uh, Circling back to my parents, you know, growing up, um, they really instilled in both my sister and I uh, the importance of always striving for excellence because they knew that we were going to be judged harsher than our peers simply because because of the color of our skin. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, I, they did this out of love to prepare me for the real world, but as an adult, it hasn't always served me well, and. I would even say it's contributed to some of the mental health issues that I've dealt with as an adult in terms of anxiety and depression. Um, so in recent years, I've really started to embrace the practice of rest. Um, lately, I've been using a mantra, do less to attract more. <clears throat> uh, for so long, for so many years, um, especially earlier on in my career, I was hyper-focused on doing, doing, and more doing. Um, but now I really want to create a balance between doing and being. And I'm able to recognize the importance of, you know, renewing and restoring my spirit so that I'm then able to go out into the world and continue to do the work required to create a more compassionate society. So yeah, I'm really passionate about rest and it has, it's an intentional practice for me because again, it's not something that is my default. My default is to do and do more. And then sometimes then I do too much and get to that state of burnout and overwhelm. So I have to be super intentional about setting aside time to just be, to relax, to rest. Exactly. I think when you are raised to excel or you put that pressure on yourself, um, and I totally understand where your parents are coming from, um there is a tendency to become you know perfectionistic right and and really hard on yourself and it's never enough 
um, maybe you should start a bath ministry, <laughs> like a, a whole new version of baptism. <laughs> I love that idea. I'm spirituality is so important to me. And so I love that pairing that self-care for me, spirituality is part of my self-care practices. So yeah, I love that idea of pairing the self-care with the spiritual component. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Were you raised in a particular religion? Well, yes, Catholicism, so, yes, so, right? Yes, I was raised Catholic. So I actually went to a all boys, uh, semi-private Catholic private school. Um, I sang at mass every Sunday at St. Michael's Cathedral in downtown Toronto, uh, toured across Canada, the US and into Europe, uh, singing with the choir. We sang at St. Peter's Basilica. Um, so yeah, very deep in the, in, in the Catholic faith. I, I was an altar boy. Um, so yeah, it was very Catholic and then I had to really wrestle with that when I came out as gay. Um, and so I had a bit of a crisis of faith for a few years, stopped going to church and all of that in my early twenties and gradually started to return to my faith. Um, I think probably in my thirties when I discovered um, a LGBTQ Catholic ministry that existed within a parish, a Catholic parish in downtown Toronto at Our Lady of Lords, and it's called AIM, All-Inclusive Ministries. And I've been a member of that group for the last few years. And it just amazed me years ago when I discovered them that there was an actual LGBTQ2 plus ministry within a, a Catholic parish. I was like, I had to see it to believe it. And it actually exists and we're doing some really great work. So uh, that has amazing. helped to restore my faith and bring me back into the right. Catholic tradition. Yeah. And is that parish recognized by the powers of be? Yes, the archdiocese, we exist at the, uh, under the blessing and under the supervision of the archdiocese. It's um, the spiritual direction comes from the Jesuit priest, but the archdiocese is, wow. allows us to be there. So yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic and hopeful that that model will be able to expand um, to other archdioceses and other parishes. It's time for the church to change and sometimes change can happen from within. Absolutely. From I say that all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Um, you are a journalist, Jamal, and you uh, work for In Magazine, which is Canada's leading LGBTQ, I'm going to say that again, LGBTQ2 plus digital publication, website and community platform. And you originally wrote this piece for In Magazine. Uh, what kind of reaction did you have when it was published or when you read it at the six minute uh, memoir? Um, did you have any feedback from readers or listeners? Yeah, so I think my bath time routines seem to really resonate with people. Uh, Self-care has, in my opinion, become a bit of a buzzword these days. And, you know, I, I, we're seeing the commodification of self-care and it's resulting in like a plethora of products being marketed or sold to us at a premium under the self-care banner. Um, really positioning self-care as like a luxury or um, something that's really only for a privileged few. So I really want to kind of do whatever I can to debunk that myth around self-care. Um, like we talked about earlier, self-care is whatever you want it to be, whatever it looks like for you, whatever works best for you. And so for me, that includes a long soak in the tub. Um, during the pandemic, that was really my port in the storm. And so I think that a lot of people can really relate to that experience. I think people had to kind of find ways to 
process and move through and experience all the different emotions that we experienced over the last two years. And so, yeah, I think people could relate to that idea of escaping into the bathtub and getting a bit of um, respite and relief. I think, unfortunately, for a lot of people, self-care took the form of, uh, you know, wine consumption and Netflix overdosing and and bread making. (laughs) Good for you that you found a a healthy way to to uh, to take care of yourself. Were there other things that helped you during COVID? Yeah, well, I'll I'll admit I did the Netflix game (laughs) for sure. Watched a lot of Netflix shows. Uh, So I did that. Um, I found going out for walks every day. Every evening, um, I was working from home, working remotely, but every evening after work, I would go out for a 20, 30 minute walk just to clear my head, kind of reset. It would help me kind of ponder things and ideas would percolate. Um, So I found that super helpful. Um, Yeah, and just trying to stay connected to people, trying to stay connected to friends, whether it was texting or phone calls. I did more phone calls during COVID than I think I had done previously because we've we've moved to that text-based communication now Uh, so it was nice to hear people's voices Uh, music music really helps me with my mood Um, it helps to shift my mood lift my mood so I listen to a lot of music Um, yeah I did everything I can just to kind of stay grounded stay centered not get overwhelmed or too overwhelmed by everything that was happening in the world Um, wasn't always successful, but, you know, I, I tried my best and yeah, the bath time routine definitely helped before the pandemic. I wasn't taking baths that often. I was showering every morning before work. Typically uh, taking a bath was like a rare treat. Um, so it was nice to be able to incorporate that pleasure back into my life again. I think you hit on two really, you know, valuable um, self-care strategies or spiritual, spiritual, um, you know, spiritual habits, uh, being in nature and and music. These are two things that, you know, scientific studies show over and over again really uplift us and can shift our perspective, especially if you're feeling anxious or depressed. And the problem is, when we're feeling anxious and depressed, we often don't do those things, right? Um, I found Spotify, like I signed on to Spotify last year, and it's just been such a gift for $10 a month. I listen to music all the time, right? And it really can uplift you. Um, Tell me about your tub. Is there anything unique about it? Um, You talked about having, remembering tub time as a kid. I mean, we all did that as a kid, right? And as we get older, we take showers, but anything special about your tub? (laughs) Um, anything special about my tub? So yeah, not really. Uh, it's just your, your, um, typical, um, acrylic or yeah, acrylic tub, acrylic white tub. So nothing super special about it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a basic tub, but I use it, you know, I use different things when I'm in the tub to kind of set the mood. So I'll, I'll sometimes use a special bubble bath that has eucalyptus in it. Uh, that really helps. I find that really soothing and calming and relaxing. Um, Sometimes I'll set some candles out to just kind of light the mood a little bit. The lighting, lighting is always super important. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we said, talking about music, sometimes I'll put in my AirPods and uh, put on some some good music and just settle in and listen to a few songs while I'm in there. But yeah, it's just really your, your standard tub, nothing fancy, nothing special. 
Um, it's really just the practice of doing it and, and mm -hmm. being in that moment and just mm -hmm. being that I get that relief from. Wonderful. Have you kept up the ritual now that COVID, I mean, it's not completely over, but we're, we're out in the world now more. Um, yeah. Have you kept up the practice? I have. So I'm still working remotely from home. So I've been able to keep that kind of nightly bath time routine in my schedule. Um, I think if I do end up at some point returning to an office, um, I'll probably revert to taking those morning showers before work, but I would still probably find uh, a way to slip in a bath every now and then because I've come to really rely on it. So I don't mm -hmm. think I'm going to let that go again. Yeah, I think with once something does become a, a ritual, um, you want to keep it right, especially if it's Absolutely. proven to be helpful. Um, so just winding down here, um, you write that there are so many things that you're looking forward to as COVID dies down. Um, what you know, you mentioned a couple of those things. Have you been able to engage in any of that, or um, you know, what are you hoping to do first when you can get back out there in the real world again? Oh, wow. So many things, so many things I want to do. Um, but I'll admit that I haven't done a lot of the things on that list um, in the article or in my story there. Uh, I've yet to attend any uh, extravagant celebrations. Um, I have not yet had the opportunity to dance in a crowd. Um, but the one thing I've missed the most, and I've been really consistent about this since the pandemic first started two years ago, is giving and receiving hugs. I'm a hugger. I love that positive transfer of energy. It just, it does something for my heart and for my soul. Um, so as it was my birthday yesterday, I'm planning uh, this weekend to go out and meet up with a few friends uh, to celebrate a little bit. And one of the first things I'm going to do is give each of them a long lingering hug. I, I am craving that interaction and that connection. So yeah, that is at the top of my list to do um, now that we're coming out of this um, is to give and receive more hugs. Well, something tells me, Jamal, that you would give a great hug and I am sending you a virtual hug as we chat here on Zoom. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to share this really beautiful story that makes me want to go back to having more baths. I'm a bath person too, but often I skip them. And really, um, it is such a lovely activity and you've reminded us of that. So thank you so much for, for your, this conversation today. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for having me. It's been a real treat. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. My name is Anne Bukma. I help people craft their own true life tales in my online six-minute memoir writing workshops and with one-on-one -on -one coaching. Check out my website, annbukma.com, that's Bukma with one O, to learn more. And now I'll sign off with my favorite quote about telling stories from Ojibwe author and journalist, Richard Wegemies. All that we are is story, he writes. From the moment we are born to the time we continue on our spirit journey, we are involved in the creation of the story of our time here. It's what we arrive with. It's all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story. All of us.